Good morning, Mr. Clark. <laughs> so you voted, half voted for radioactivity. Wow, what a group. <laughs> half voted for radioactivity and half of you voted for molecular machines. So I thought what I would do is like half-heartedly teach both of them. <laughs> so this is uh, series 31A. 31 times I've come before this group and spoken and talking about dating techniques. And I want to give you confidence in the scripture because we see this all the time. Millions of years, billions of years and that kind of stuff. Keep at it. Yes, she's uh, doing something for me there. So the importance of long ages, just millions and billions and stuff like that. Evolutionists generally feel secure even in the face of compelling creationist arguments today because of their utter confidence in the geological time scale. It's been said with the discovery of radioactivity about 100 years ago. I was thinking about that, Pastor. I have been teaching longer than you have been alive. Yes, I've been teaching 102 years. <laughs> Evolution is deeply committed to the uniformitarian outlook, believe they finally have proof of the immense antiquity of the earth, to which creationists say, there was sound there. <laughs> There's sound there. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Have you watched College Game Day? When Lee Corso comes in and says that. Without millions and millions of years, the theory of evolution crumbles. Now, we've got something going on up here. And we're going to get to this a little bit later with this uh, rare vase that Bob and Jean so kindly gave to us. And uh, if I had a Geiger counter, if I had a Geiger counter, that's background radiation, don't worry about, oops, <laughs> there's a cosmic ray almost hit me. Listen to this nice, what happens when I put this Geiger counter up to this vase? So I would say, Bob and Jean, that's kind of a mixed message. I mean, you give us a nice vase, and then it's, it's, it's not radioactive. It's my fake Geiger counter. I, I thought about this is just a multimeter. I fooled you on this two years ago, I think. Uh-oh. How do you turn that off? We'll come back to that a little bit later. So what is radioactivity? By the way, I don't use the word radiation because you're being bombarded with radiation right now. This is radiation, but it's non-ionizing radiation. The radiation that radioactivity gives us is ionizing radiation, which if it hits the wrong thing in a genetic sense, you may not be happy with the offspring if you get what I'm saying. There are a lot of misconceptions. This is even in, in the uh, introduction to The Simpsons where they pull out a rod and it's glowing. 
radioactive materials do not glow. You do not know, you would not know the difference between something that's radioactive and something that's not just by looking at it. Now, if people start falling down sick around it and vomiting and that kind of stuff, then you go, I bet there's radiation there. So that's a misconception. So a general term for the breakdown of unstable nuclei, plural of nucleus, to produce alpha, beta, and gamma. Alpha, beta, and gamma. Alpha and beta, first two letters of the Greek alphabet. And I always ask this in my class. What is alpha and omega? Well, you know. First and last, right? And you would have one or two students in a public school know what that was. And you're going, the kid goes to Sunday school. Somebody asked me one time, do you know a little Greek? I go, yeah. I know a little Greek. He owns a restaurant up in West Lafayette. <laughs> and why is it called nuclear chemistry? Why is it called nuclear chemistry? That's because the nucleus gives off particles or waves. That's why it's called nuclear. There's supposed to be sound there. Yeah. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. No, it's not. It's nuclear. And we had a president who did not know how to pronounce it. Doesn't he have somebody on his staff which would correct him and say it's nuclear President Bush? <laughs> so here's a Geiger-Muller tube, and it's got some sound there, too. A particle goes in and ionizes the gas, you hear a click, okay? So there are the three, alpha, beta, and gamma. I'm not going to talk about those, even though I enjoy the chemistry of it. That's beyond what we want to talk about. So all the schools in Indiana received one of these, a Geiger counter. I had one at Jeff. I had one at Frontier. And there's some. Are more? Um... He is not faking it. He actually has a Geiger counter there. Active than what I'm going to show you here. Um, and this, I paid nine bucks for this plate, but check this out. That is Fiesta Ware, sold in the 50s and 60s. So you're eating on a plate that was hot in more ways than one. Now, if I had a Geiger counter and an alpha source, and I thought about buying a Geiger counter, and I looked it up, and it was about 50 bucks, and I go, okay, I can do that. But then when I looked at the radioactive sources, they were hundreds of dollars. I go, not going there. And you're not going to find it in the radiation aisle at Walmart. So here was a radiation sample. You can see I used it back in, can you see that? Is it kind of faint there? 2002? You can see it? Okay. So I wanted to just zoom in on this. Do you see that 138D? You know what that is? That is the half-life. Half of this sample will de 
deteriorate into another material, half of it, 138 days. Another 138 days, half of that, and so on. That's the idea of a half-life. So I like the chemistry. You, you say, so what? Pol polonium decays by giving off an alpha particle to form lead. By the way, everything is going downhill. The, the King James is wax. The earth waxes old, becomes old. Things are wearing down. So here's a patient, 138 days half-life. Here's a patient that maybe had some kind of radiation to check her neck or her back or something, right? And you've had that before. I would guess everybody in here has had an x-ray. How would you rate your pain? Zero stars would not recommend. How does radiometric dating work? The most common example is carbon-14. You've heard of that, carbon-14 dating? So here's, here's what happens. Cosmic rays, I just missed another one, are bombarding us from all different angles. We don't even know where they come from. They hit the atmosphere, which contains nitrogen. Our atmosphere is about 80% nitrogen, about 20% oxygen, roughly, and less than 0.04% evil carbon dioxide. Do we take in nitrogen? Yes, we do. Does our body use it? No, we breathe it out. It is neutral to our bodies. But this nitrogen that has been struck by the cosmic rays can be turned into carbon-14, radioactive radiocarbon. Do you take in carbon-14? No, you don't, unless you sit down and eat a piece of coal. But the carbon-14 can combine with the oxygen in the atmosphere to form carbon dioxide. Do you take in carbon dioxide? Yes, you do. Do you use it? No, you don't. You take in 0.04, you breathe out something like 1%. Animals take in this carbon dioxide. Pardon me. <laughs> That's not an animal. Plants take in carbon dioxide. Do you eat plants? Sure you do. Yes, you do. Uh, so, kids, here's what you can do today. Mom says, eat your asparagus. You go, Mom, they're radioactive. There's carbon. I don't care. Eat your asparagus. By the way, I'm with you on that one. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks. So, you refuse to eat that stuff? Animals take in plants. Do you eat animals? Yes. Do you eat plants and animals? Yes. You could do this, refuse to eat either. Right? How long are you going to last? <laughs> so, every one of you has some carbon-14 in you. Every one, of, every one of you are slightly radioactive. So, when, when does your radioactivity go down? Two things, stop eating or die, and sometimes those are close to the same time, <laughs> all right? 
So your, radio, your radioactivity will go down when you die. Start going down. Now, here's a lab that I did with my advanced chemistry students. We would do the, the decomposition, radioactive decay of barium-137. And barium's one of those elements which if you eat it, that's what we'll do, we'll bury them. So, as the time went on in this lab, we actually made that radioactive sample in our lab and then checked it with the Geiger counters. Okay, a little fancier than Geiger counters. But the radiation will decrease over time. And that's actually from one of the labs that we did. All radioactive decay has a graph that looks like this. By the way, you're interested in science? Get that math. Okay? Another example of radioactive decay. By the way, what is that curve called? <laughs> Come on, some of you have taken algebra too, or geometry. It's called a hyperbola. So, another radioactive decay. If you graph the percentage of carbon-14 in the compound, in the material, in the whatever has died, and, and make a graph, you can figure out how, how old something is or when it stopped taking in carbon dioxide. Got it? So, if it has this amount of carbon in it, Right here, you could go across and figure out how old it is. And <laughs> this, this uh, on the on the uh, internet, they had the. It's not an elephant. That's a mastodon. And of course, it goes to about twenty twenty five to thirty thousand carbon fourteen. Now. Uh, something's going on here with Abby. What are you doing there, Abby? Unwrapping You're doing what? Unwrapping She's unwrapping mints and putting them back in. And we're going to, a little bit later, we're going to calculate how long she's been unwrapping mints. Science requires observation. We're observing. So here's some of the assumptions that are done in carbon-14. In fact, let's do that now. How would we calculate how long she's been unwrapping mints? How long in between? Yes, how long in between. She's doing this. She's even got a cell phone there so that she can do it once a minute, right? So all we have to do is turn over this radioactive vase and count the number of unwrapped, right? And then we'll be able to figure out how long she's been doing that. You with me? That's not complicated. It's kind of like this. This is a radioactive atom, and it's shedding a particle. By the way, we could do this. Count the number of wrappers she has. Where'd you put them? She, she's got a pocket. 
in her pocket, right? We could do that. Except she's sitting next to a fireplace and she's taking the wrappers and throwing them in the fireplace. So we can't do that. That's more like radioactivity. You don't know where those particles are. So let's see how many she's got unwrapped here. And you're, you're done doing this. Anybody that wants to stop by and get a mint afterwards, I recommend it for you. I don't go into that kind of music. <laughs> I don't even call it music. We're going to do a calculation here. See how long she's been doing this. I can, I can count. I'm pretty good at that. I hope you washed your hands this week. Okay, I count uh, two, four, six, eight, she's going to correct me there, two, no, I lost track, ten, two, four, six, eight, ten, two, four, five, there are a couple here. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. That one's wrapped. All right. So what was that? Ten, twenty, thirty? What was it? Thirty-one. Thirty-one. So you've been doing this for thirty-one minutes? She might have been. I think she missed some time there. Um, by the way, to be absolutely certain... I want, oops, there's another one, 32. Uh, I wanted to have it overwhelming, like 50 of these unwrapped, and you go, well, she'll have been here 30 minutes. How many were unwrapped when we started? Do we know the initial uh, concentration of either? We do not. Has the rate always been one per minute? When Pastor was up there praying, were you, you know, and when we were singing, you were, oh, she, oh you messed it up. <laughs> I asked you, she asked me, even when he's up there, I go, yeah, I want you to do it once per minute. These, this is the, these are some of the things that radioactive dating do not take into account. The decay rate of carbon-14 has been constant over the entire time period of the fossil. Can you guarantee me that? Did we have an event about 4,500 years ago where the fountains of the great deep were broken up? And how did that happen? How did, what caused that? Was there a, a super release of radioactivity? Was there a change in decay rates? No decay products have been added or removed. Did anybody come up and drop off unwrapped mints? Did anybody take any mints? The ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12 has been constant over the entire time period of the fossil. In other words, it's pretty constant right now how much carbon-14 everybody has in them. And I don't know those numbers right off the top of my head. The Earth's atmosphere has never changed. Do you agree with that? I think it was different before the flood and after. The Earth's magnetic field has never changed. Scientists are big on this. They say 
here's the North Pole, here's the South Pole. Shoo! At one time it changed, and another time it changed, and they're talking about over millions of years. So all of those, all of those uh, assumptions may be suspect. So they come up with ages that are extreme. Constant decay rates, these are things that are considered to be true, which may not be true. And if you go to this website, uh, you will see other dating methods that will give more in line with what we will believe, six to 10,000 years for the age of the earth. I don't say 4004 BC at 9 a.m. Adam was created. I don't, go, I don't go that far. So this is for the kids. I know you enjoy this. And Laurie, we're going to give, somebody can have a, a book there or take a mint. You ready? What do they call pastors residing in Germany? Okay, no guesses on that? German shepherds. <laughs> Who is awarded as the fastest runner ever? Fastest runner ever. Adam was first in the human race. <laughs> How come they didn't play cards on the ark? I, I didn't hear what that what they said. Oh, just a second, let's go back. Because Noah was standing on the deck. Where do the Bible's most talkative people live? Babylon, 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 okay. Before Boaz became married, what kind of a guy was he? Ruthless. Ruthless, who said that? Right here. Who said that? <laughs> Earl said, I didn't sound like Earl. Where was Solomon's temple located? On the, who said that? On the side of his head, right. Okay, really bad. Okay, radioactivity, I gave a brief introduction to that. Uh, now you voted halfway on the, you voted halfway on the, radioactivity versus the uh, molecular machines. I'm going to let you vote on this. Do you want me to give you a top 10 list? How, how many say top 10 list? How many say no? Okay, so the people that said no don't listen. You switch. <laughs> you want me to start over? There is no off position. There is no off position on the genius switch. Okay. Top 10 signs you need a, need a new Sunday school teacher. And, and this, this will be the last Sunday. I don't know for a while or forever. I don't know. Number 10. Can't remember the jokes that he's told from day, Sunday to the next. Number nine, he makes a seating chart. 
and I did have seating charts, boy, girl, boy, girl. Is that like really elementary, Mr. Clark? Yeah, I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to listen. Number eight, during notes, he accidentally clicks on his plans for a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Number seven, he's starting to believe the stories that he tells. Well, that's an interesting story, but it's not true. His favorite dis disciple is the cable guy. Number five, he's convinced that his jokes are funny. <laughs> Signs you need a new Sunday school teacher. Insists that all students use the RSB version of the Bible. The Richard Scary Bible. <laughs> Number four, can't remember the jokes that he's told from one Sunday to the next. Number three, in the middle of class, he takes up an offering for himself. Number two, brags about talking with King James a few years back. And the number one sign that you need a new Sunday school teacher. Instead of using an overhead or projector, he stands in front of the class lecturing while looking through a viewmaster. <laughs> okay. So, molecular machines, and, and please bear with me on this. I've been studying this for just a couple years. I've been studying chemistry for, let's see, I'm 62, minus 14, I don't know. Here's another very, very good website, creation.com. Sorry, try again. By the way, if you adjusted your biblical theology, based upon the Big Bang Theory, there are scientists today who are rejecting it. Did you know that? By the way, the Big Bang Theory violates many of the principles that we believe. So that's an interesting device there. I talked about that a little while ago, but we're not gonna actually talk about that today because this is ATP synthase it makes ATP from ADP. It's a very interesting physical and chemical process. I was reminded of this passage in Purdue's FCA a couple weeks ago, and I go, I got to include that, Colossians 1.18. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, or cells, all things were created by him and for him. I am totally astounded by this. Amazing molecular machines. I want to give you confidence in the scripture that you are unbelievably made. Now, remember when we talked about the stars and I told about the Hubble Space Telescope pointing to a relatively empty part and then they exposed the film for over several days and we saw millions upon millions of galaxies. That's just incredible to me. And Joey says to me, I think God is just bragging here, showing off. And they're going, all glory belongs to him, not to me, not to scientists who discover this. 
Now let's go on to the other side. Let's get down to the, the, the cell. We're talking about tiny, 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 tiny things. It is estimated there are between 30 and 40 trillion cells in the average adult human body. Think of that. Do we have some concept of trillion? Do you know what the national debt is? It's going to be a problem one day, isn't it? Women have more than that because women have brains. <laughs> there are hundreds of types of cells, but there are 11 basic cells. Stem cells, bone cells, blood cells, muscle cells, fat cells, skin cells, nerve cells, endothelial cells, sex cells, pancreatic cells, cell phones, cancer cells. Okay. By the way, no one is a Darwinist anymore because this tenet is just thrown out. They are neo-Darwinists. If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. But I can find no such case. We found many, many cases. Here's an interesting website, Evolution News. Not only did they vastly underestimate the complexity of the cell, but it's probably vastly more complex even than we imagine today. The things I show you today, you're going to go, wow. And it's probably more complex than that. Again, Michael Behe introduced this about 20 years ago. Irreducible complexity. Have you heard that? Let me give it to you in a, a, a nutshell. Is that our car, Lori? Um, will a mousetrap work if one of the parts is missing? The spring is of no use. The latch is of no use. The base is of no use. The, the catch device is of no use. They all have to be at the same time. All right? We have several people checking on their vehicles. That's the idea of irreducible complexity. If you don't have all of them right when you need it, it's not going to work. All right? By the way, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And then what he did was he uh, did a diagram, an animation of the bacterial flagellum. Bacteria is one of the simplest life forms. <laughs> the thing that propels it through space, the flagellum, is incredibly complex. Dan, when did he do this? When did he do this? About 20 years ago. Yeah, and that's what it says right here. Images of the molecular machines that Michael Bay brought to public attention 21 years ago were dim and fuzzy at the time, but were convincingly, convincing enough then to make a strong case for irreducible complexity. By the way, some of the guys I quote, we would not consider them to be in our camp. The thing about intelligent design 
is they forget to mention the designer, Jesus Christ. And so that's where we would uh, go with somebody like um, uh, Dr. Morris or Dr. Whitcomb, who had a very clear testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, new imaging techniques such as cryo-electron microscopy allow scientists to look at individual parts of the machines at near-atomic resolution. So there's the image, bottom right, and then the schematic of what it would be, right? 20 years ago. Now they use this machine. We happen to have one in our basement. About the only thing I recognize here are the monitors, and then on, on far right, a big tank, probably of liquid nitrogen, cryo, cryo, cold. I'm going to try to do it this way. I hope this works out. Because I may want to stop it from time to time. No, it didn't. Let me try this. There is music there. body and each one of them is doing something like this. Do you comprehend that? Building a pathway machine to travel along, destroying a pathway so the parts can be used to make other pathways, building of the pathway, destroying a pathway so those parts can be reused. Kinesin. Mitochondria, upper right-hand corner. Filaments throughout to give it structure. RNA coming out of the nucleus. To make proteins. You're telling me these evolved over millions of years by gradual steps? apparatus I don't know
white blood cell being allowed to go into a cell that maybe has bacteria in it to kill that bacteria. Red blood cells and white blood cells. Now, I want to talk about just one of these molecular machines. Inside of each cell, you need to transport certain things from one part of the cell to the other. How does, it, how does the cell do that? How do they transport inside of a cell? So here's a cell representative. Again, upper right-hand corner, mitochondria. When I was studying biology in high school, they told us the mitochondria is the power plant of the cell. So you memorize that, put it on a test. I had no clue, no idea what, what happens in a mitochondria. But how, does, how do materials move from one side of the cell to the other where it's needed? I think we can agree this is probably not the mechanism. Most of you would say, yeah, that's probably not the mechanism. I don't think there are like thousands of Carls in there transporting things from Indianapolis to different places, right? It's interesting when you meet, <laughs> when you greet people when they come in the church, I saw Carl this morning, I go, I'm getting you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't say that. recognize the cell wall there. Cells are full of specialized components that perform functions vital to their existence. But how do these components get to the right locations inside the cell to perform their functions? For larger components, a transportation system is needed. Meet the kinesin. Masterpieces of microengineering Kinesins are miniature motorized machines that carry cargo from one part of the cell to another, walking along self-assembling highways called microtubules. Known as the workhorses of the cell, kinesins have two feet, or globular heads. Did you notice it was building its own pathway? Do you have to do that, Carl, when you drive from what? You don't have to build your own roads? You don't go just wherever you want, though. That literally walk one foot over another along the microtubule, pulling their cargo to its destination. Everything has to be there at the same time. And by the way, how does it walk? By ATP, hydrolyzing the ADP, giving off energy for the foot to move the foot to move to the next spot. Each foot possesses two special locations called binding sites that interact with other molecules. One site attaches to the microtubule and the other binds with ATP, the energy molecule of the cell. 
When one foot binds with ATP and uses its energy, the foot flips over. What's in the big bank? Well, maybe a bicycle for Tommy and a, a doll for, for Julie and a cell phone for Dad and pots and pans for Mom. We are coming up on Christmas, right? Resulting in the walking motion. Each foot has a short neck, which is connected to a strand of a long coiled stalk. At the end of the stalk is a fan-shaped tail, which holds tightly to the cargo being transported. Kinesins can carry cargo that are many times their own size. Sometimes a kinesin is in danger of getting stuck on the microtubule highway because of blockages caused by other cellular components. To get around such obstacles, multiple motor proteins may be used to carry a single piece of cargo, together providing enough force to break free. Kinesins typically walk away from the center of the cell and toward the cell's periphery. The kinesins' two feet work together efficiently, with one foot holding fast to the microtubule, while the other releases itself and takes a step forward. This coordinated stepwise movement allows kinesin motors to walk as many as 100 steps per second, moving about 8 nanometers with each step. When not carrying cargo, kinesins can shift to energy-saving mode to conserve fuel until their next job. The kinesin plays a vital role in many cellular processes, not just transporting materials, but also aiding cell replication. The Walking Kinesin Molecular Machine Another example of intelligent design. By the way, the human body has about 50 kinesins in its family, each carrying a different substance along a different pathway. So I estimated 65 people were coming to my Sunday school. I think more than that, today anyway. 65 people in here, more, times 35 trillion, halfway between 30 and 40 trillion. Are you doing the math? Are you keeping up? Times this number of molecular machines operating in each cell. <laughs> Somebody says those kinesins don't move very fast. If you brought them to the scale of an automobile, they'd be going several times faster than what an automobile can travel. Times hundreds of these in each cell. What an unbelievable large number of molecular machines operating in this room. <laughs> it's, it's just mind-boggling. Before I give the final slide, I, I give thanks to the pastor for letting me teach, for Bob, uh, for 
encouraging me, and I think maybe a few behind the scenes, you need to get Dan Clark to teach Sunday school class uh, to people who, you know, say thank you for that and so on. To my lovely assistant who tolerates me spending hours and hours and too many hours trying to get a lesson ready. Psalm 139.14 I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. I've studied strong force. My conclusion, let me explain. And I, I said this in FCA a couple weeks ago. If you, if you know anything about particles, like particles repel. Unlike particles attract. So in the nucleus, the largest naturally occurring element is Uranium, 92 protons in the nucleus, 92. So 92 positive particles stuck together. What should the nucleus do? Let's look at the other side of it. Electrons, we're told, is or, are orbiting the nucleus. What should happen to electrons? Opposite charges attract. The electron should collapse and the nucleus should explode. I'm going to give the same answer Richard Dawkins gives when somebody gave him a question about how all these things happen by chance. He said, well, here we are. And I'm going to say, the nucleus should explode. Well, they don't. <laughs> we think God holds all things together. At one time, he's going to go, it's over. I hope you're on the, I don't want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of eternity.